yeah, it was painful, emotionally and physically painful. In the end, it poured with rain and they all had to get, half of them had to get airlifted out. A global pandemic strap. And there were millipedes and I'm scared of millipedes. I sat down in the middle of the millipedes crying. Well, some sort of arsehole would have been, I could bring one beer out. Like, what do you think of me, mate? Got back to the car, couldn't feel my fingers, toes, covered in mud, my shoes were completely trashed. And then he jumped straight out in front of me, I just plowed straight into him. Can you do the Do I need to slow down? I don't think I'm Flying, or am I doing really good? Chafing can derail your race, and you know, we've got to take care of the nether regions. The electric fence was the worst. <laughs> I still haven't quite gotten over that. Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Midpack. I'm your host, Rebecca Hunt. I'll be bringing you stories from everyday runners, experts, and some race recaps. Today, I am co hosting with Beth Newman. Hello. Hello. Hi. And we are talking to Adelaide based coach. Nick Muxlow, welcome to the show. Howdy, thanks for having me. Beth and I went to your social run and book launch recently and uh, have read your book. So I actually read your previous one, Journey to 100. Absolutely. And this is your latest Get Run Fit. And yeah, we were both reading it and just thought, why not have a chat with you about it? Perfect. Yeah. Uh, before we get into all that though, just so listeners can find out a bit more about you, when you're not running, what do you actually get up to? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, I actually read a fair bit. Um, yeah? So definitely You're talking like to, to an English teacher, so I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, not that much at all. Um, but no, I do enjoy um, reading. Uh, also, when I kind of get out on the mountain bike a bit, unsurprisingly love being outdoors. And yeah also a bit of a fan of food so like going out to restaurants and that sort of thing um, with friends and especially family so they're probably the kind of other things that i love doing when i'm not running but running definitely takes a fair bit of time yes. <laughs> not gonna lie and when you're not running often you're coaching about running because you are yes you are exactly um how long have you been coaching and, and what got you into that uh well coaching in multiple forms um pretty much since i was about 15 um i originally coached actually lacrosse um so i coached when i was like you know you're 15s you coach the under 11s and then when you're 17 you coach the under 13s kind of thing um so i've coached basically you know best part of my life um but run coaching specifically um i've been doing now for about six years um it's possibly maybe even seven or eight, I haven't kind of kept up with it. Um, Before that, I was also obviously a PE teacher, which is really another form of coaching, but just coaching kids how to play all sports. Um, So yeah, so I guess from that, um, yeah, specifically working with runners um, for that period of time, but I'm really drawing on a skill set that I've had and built up over far longer period than that. Yeah. So yeah. And you have been able to um, quit teaching as a result? I still actually teach a couple of days. A little bit? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I probably probably work two days a week um, teaching, but I do relief right. teaching. Um, oh. So I can That's literally... Nice. I'm also a relief coordinator. Okay. There you go. So... And I'm looking for PE teachers. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So yeah, so I kind of teach a couple of days yeah. a week. Um, okay. at, I only work at two schools, both. One, I was the PE teacher, one, I was the year six, seven teacher. Um, and so, yeah, I got into actually what was my old classroom today. Um, so, yeah, so basically 
go to those kids it's kind of a bit of fun um and if i need the day off i just take a day off and yeah do the coaching side of things so it's good risk of getting you in trouble who's better to coach adults or kids Adults, a hundred percent. Well, it, it probably depends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some, you know, there's always some kids that don't like PE. Yeah. So, um, you know, if if everyone, you know, comes really comes back to the mindset. Yeah. If if someone's keen to learn and take things on board, I don't think it matters whether they're a kid or an adult. But yeah. I kind of don't get adults that come to me that don't want to be coached so I filter yes. them out yes. um, yeah. so therefore I don't have to deal with the the ones that aren't interested in improving yeah so yeah. that's probably why it's a bit biased that way yeah, yeah. I actually got a doctor's certificate in year nine to get me out of PE mm-hmm. saying that you know because I was a redhead and the sun gives me skin cancer so I can't do PE <laughs> 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 and now I'd and happily now be in the sun running. <laughs> wow, you spent all day in the sun. And yeah, yeah. But so. I, I think it was just down to weird teenage years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Glad I'm over that. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, you try and yeah encourage kids to obviously, mm. you know, do the PE because it gives them the skill set when they're older to be mm. able to. You know, you want to go have yeah. a go for a run or go for a social hit of tennis or you know some pick up basketball it's like well we want that skill set but mm. I don't know well Sometimes I feel like we I missed wait out till now. We're older. Mm. yeah it took me so. to my mid-twenties to put my running shoes on so it's sad yeah, it's okay <laughs> at least you did it then at least you didn't wait yeah, longer that's true so I've had plenty of adults come to me oh. with a wow like I've got someone who's 70s that's recently taken up you know, endurance training cool. works triathlete. Yeah. So, awesome. yeah, basically, never say never. Yeah, no, um, no, it's never too late. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And <laughs> um, a lot of this book is focused on the psychological, and you spend a lot of time on runners' beliefs and motivations. What are some of the most essential elements of psychology for runners? Yeah, um, a lot. But like, what are some of your top? Some yeah. of my top. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's, like there's a few things that come out of it. Like you, I probably you know mentioned extensively about just going back to the process. And so what I really find is that runners are impatient. I think mm-hmm. maybe not just runners. Society is impatient. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I also fall into that category. Um, but really, with running, you've got to look at it over years and multiple years. Mm-hmm. And so. What I find is people come in and they're not um, they're not doing the necessarily the right training or the best training, and so we need to basically start to get them into like a quality run training program and then basically maintain that. And so really, as long as they've got the belief and the understanding that this isn't like a twelve week thing or this isn't even like a sixteen or a twenty four week thing, like we can totally make um, improvements over that time, but really to go okay well really what you're saying to me is you actually want to be a runner Mm -hmm. and it's like okay well let's actually put you into the process of being a runner Mm -hmm. and we'll build upon that you know year on year so that um coming back to basically the belief in the process um understanding that it's you know it will take time um and just you know accepting that and i've found the more i've 
coach, the more trust athletes have in what I'm doing because normally when they come to me, the first thing I do is basically pull out a handbrake. Yeah. And I'm like, right, we're actually just gonna do this the right way and do it once. Um, and they expect me to get them out there running and running and running. And it's like, no, we've got to build your body up to that point. Yeah. Um, that takes time. Uh, if it wasn't for the body, we could fast track it, but we've got to allow the body to really respond to the training. Um, and then, yeah, the mindset to really get the consistency and that some runners find that really, really easy and others find it more challenging. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily have to be the consistency of uh, basically, like we want the consistency of running basically every week and mm. making sure that we are running. Whereas I find that a lot of people come and they're sporadic in their training. So they'll go through a really you know, big build into a race and then they just do nothing. And so we want to basically make sure we've just got that consistency over a long, long time. Mm. So yeah, and some people, find that challenging I did like that part in your book where you're talking about the apple tree and the farmer having faith yes and the, you know over time things will happen yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> I think it's a yeah I found it a really powerful analogy because mm. it's something we can relate to mm -hmm. and then we can basically understand well yeah I do need to take that time and mm. the same as an apple tree obviously it, it does take a period of time for the apple tree to grow and give the fruit but even when the fruit is there, we still have to look after it. Yeah. And so it really encompasses both those parts. Um, mm. Because even if you're an experienced runner, you've been running for years, you still have to follow the rules. You still have to make sure you're taking care of different things. Mm. Um, it's not like it's suddenly easy. Mm. So you so. say they come to you with this expectation of like, right, here we go. And you're putting the brake on. Yeah. Like, how, how are they, how receptive are they to that process? You're saying it's a bit easier, do you, like, kind of... Well, here's my resume now. Or, well, it's, uh, it's easier <laughs> because they've seen what I've achieved with others. Um, so, and I actually can't remember if I mentioned this in RunFit, but I've worked with a few people um, now over the years who've had stress fractures. Mm. And oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. some of the hardest to basically build back into the run program. I've had mm. a couple that have come with a couple of stress fractures. And so that's where it's like, we've just got to take it slowly because obviously they've initially got it and then they've managed to get another one. Mm. And so it's like, okay, well, let's just actually be gentle. So where is the... <laughs> you might just pause for a sec. Freight train. So the train is gone and we're talking about accepting the handbrake. Yeah, yes. so, so really it comes back to... Um, really a couple of things one they can see that i've done it with a few other athletes before so then they trust me more um and that also i guess in some ways has come back also on the race selection which i've mentioned in the book as well yeah. so a lot of people you know might be keen to jump straight to the hundred some people have got enough background to do that and others i've said well let's actually space this out let's put the 50 in. let's put the marathon in or let's put you know whatever else needs to be in place and so yeah i was maybe it's just myself maybe i was more um unsure of having that conversation and how it would be taken originally yeah whereas now you know i've not had anyone come back and say oh nick i wish i had done the hundred or you know i wish i had to let me do more it's like nah 
I could see why you've done what you've done in retrospect. Um, and that's, yeah. yeah, that's a really positive thing because they've been able to achieve what they're after. Yeah. Um, and often, you know, it's taken maybe six months more um, or probably in stress fractures, probably like nine to 10 months more. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, they're so excited that they're out there and running again. And mm. it's a few people that have had multiple stress fractures. So you can imagine how, you know, devastated they've been after going through what was a rehab process once mm. and then having it happen yeah. again. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Kind of going back to the psychology we were talking about before about, you talk about goal setting. Are there specific goal strategies? Like when you're coming up with goals, these are some good things to do to have effective goals. Or is it more just about having goals in the first place? Is that more important than what the goal is? Yeah, I think it's very much based on the individual. Um, So a goal can be a race, for instance. A lot of people, you know, we we work around that, which gives us motivation. But the race isn't obviously the only thing. Um, And so that's where you can have a great race or you can have a poor race, and that can be a result of different factors. Um, which could be out of your control because it could be the weather, it could be you know illness in the lead up, um, stuff like that. COVID, people in Gold Coast COVID. at the moment. Is this, or <laughs> is this not going ahead? But yeah. yeah. Um, so that's where really we've got like um, outcome based goals, mm-hmm. um, or then we can go to more so like process based goals, mm-hmm. and so that's where we can then look at say, well, what is it you actually want to improve with your running? Is it your pacing? Is it nutrition? Is it your hydration? Um, is it your speed? Is it your ability up hills, down hills? What is it that you actually want to improve? And then from that, we can actually look to improve that. And this is where I talk about it being over like a long-term period. Because what I'll get runners to do is focus on through the training sets that I plan or what I get them to actually do um, on different aspects of their running. And so if you can imagine we're just building the runner up and just putting layer upon layer upon layer on of the skill sets and the experience um, over a long period of time. So any one run set doesn't probably add much. But when we've done multiple run sets where we've tackled the same thing or we've done, yeah, you know, repeated the process time and time again, then they just keep executing at a higher and higher and higher level. Um, And that's where... Yeah, basically, then you can improve whatever it is that they're after. Mm-hmm. So that's why you come back to kind of like, well, what's the goal? If it's yeah. to be a runner, well, let's actually look at improving all the components of running, which is really what I unpack in yeah. RunFit um, through the, obviously, the four different areas and then the yes. 12 different kind of like sub-areas that I Yes, um, very I handy graphic. <laughs> yeah. I liked your little graphic at the start of the chapters, just breaking down the yes. diagrammatic process. That's, that's Jack. <laughs> Jack is here tonight. And it sounds like there's a bluey crisis. One of the things that um, when I, I read it in your book, I'm like immediately, A, I'm guilty of that, and B, however, I never <laughs> thought of it this way before, but differentiating between training and going from a, going for a run. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and I guess in my mind, like any run's training because, you know, it's, all endurance and that getting the K's in and I was like no it isn't it isn't I'm fooling myself uh, I guess uh, so what shifts a run from going for a run to actually being training well I 
I really think it comes down to your personal mindset um, because you can you can do both and both actually I believe have a place in the training program. That's um, one of the things I like from your first book, um, Journey to 100, the, the soul run. You put in a like permission to do whatever you want and it doesn't have to be anything specific run. Yeah. So that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. so and it's really I guess similar to that. Um, yeah. that you know, within within the week and within the the training programs that I provide athletes, I'll still keep in there a run where it's basically just go out for a steady run. Mm. Now we know we're still working aerobically, but it's pretty easy to go out for that aerobic run. Just enjoy running for the love of running. Um, a and mental health run. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I started calling those soul runs on Strava after reading that book. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah perfect. Yeah. Um, so and that's it. So you can go out without um, necessarily wanting it to be anything else. Yeah. And I have no problems if people run for that reason and that yeah. reason only. But what I find is that there's a certain group of people that actually want to run to improve running and they enjoy the, um, you know, the challenge of building up for the race and that's what they're trying to do. No. Yet the only thing they're doing is yeah. going out for a run. They're not yeah. actually achieving everything else that can be achieved. Yeah. Um, that's a little short-sighted, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, um, another key part of the psychology, and this is more why people get a coach, is that the structured plan saves runners mental energy. And yeah. as busy mums that are working and we've got too much of a mental load anyway, <laughs> um, you know, we all have busy lives and, you know, what we can turn over of that mental co- work to the coach, you know, so we trust in the process and uh-huh. get results. So what do you find runners need to have that trusting relationship with their coach? You kind of covered a little before, but, um, well, you know, we are giving you all of our goals and our hopes, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, basically. Just, going, yep. just do our thinking for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just look on the app. Yeah. The watch, the watch can scream at us as we're so, running. Yeah. Because yeah. quite often, like, yeah, like I'll, I'll leave the house, like I'll have a time period, but you know, you'll get to that 2K and it's like, oh, what do I do now? And then the, the watch tells. The watch so you tells can, you. you can really just get lost yeah. in it. Because you are thinking about, you know, what's happening at work and, you know, have yeah. I done the laundry or, you know, what do I need to stock the fridge with? So yeah. just... <laughs> yeah, so... so Sorry, what was the exact question again? Ah, oh, so coming back to the trusting relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, like the relationship... I guess there's kind of two parts to that that yep. question. One part of it is really looking at the periodization mm-hmm. um, and the understanding of the psychology that actually makes runners tick, mm-hmm. and that's getting the balance right in the training program. Because you can, we're not robots. Like mm-hmm. I'm always saying that to my athletes, you're not robots because they'll go out and they might I've set a particular set and they're like I just didn't hit it, and I'm mm-hmm. like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Was your intention there? Mm. Yeah, my intention was there. I'm like, cool. That's all that counts is the fact that you had the intention to achieve that set as best you could. Because mm. we can't know that they've had a shit day at work, the fact that the kids weren't sleeping last night, mm. you know, other stuff is going on. Mm. Um, and that affects it. So they may not get to mm. like the intensities that they're after or think, that type of thing. Um, so one part of it is then basically understanding the, the psychology of, how you build a program to keep the runner engaged Mm. because 
you can set something that's boring, that's bland, but it'll get the job done. But, you know, after 12 months, you're mentally cooked. You're like, well, that was boring and I'm over it. (laughs) Okay. So, or you can basically make sure that you're varying the train, you're keeping them engaged. You know, there's so many different things that you can do run wise. Um, and there's always more than one way to get from a point A to a point B. Um, and so that's, I guess, part of it. The other part of the trust is then basically actually it's the communication that goes on. Um, and so particularly with the ones that I work one-on-one, it's, I have an open communication channel. And what I mean by that is I don't see them like once a month and that's it. It's more, yeah, (laughs) I basically... I don't necessarily see them once a month at all. In fact, I often don't because they know I'm there whenever they need it. And if they need me two times in a week, then there's the communication channel set up for that. Um, If they have been with me for like, I don't know, I've got runners that have been with me for two, three, probably even four years now. They're pretty comfortable with everything that's going on and they'll be like, hunky-dory, I'll be able to see that it's all going well. But I know that if something happens they'll let me know and then we can basically go to it. So I think the trust is built from being there when they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether and that's... And the lack of judgment by the sounds of it. Regularly or... You know, regularly. just like they know they won't be judged by you when things go wrong mm-hmm. or skipped. They can just trust yeah. that you'll just be, okay, yep, adapt to that. Yeah. 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 So, and then, yeah, basically I guess then from that I see what's happening and I adjust the training program to cater for that. So... I had an athlete who, if they listen to this, they'll probably know who it is, but um, they they goofed up their pacing. I'm not going to say any other way at, up at um, Hubert. Um, yeah. And, yeah, basically ended up that we then basically went back to the training program and gave them specific sets that they tackled to refine that skill. Yeah. And so while we'd done that before, it's like, that's fine you're learning okay so cool i'm i was then challenged as a coach well how can i design a set that's actually going to make sure they can achieve the ability to execute that skill yeah we did that we went back to the training program um and then they've since had an awesome race yeah and so that's like success it's like they weren't in it for the short term they're like nah i understand it cool go back refine improve execute again happy days so I'm so chuffed (laughs) so for this person was it derailed a bit more at the beginning because you you talk about that a fair bit the start of races is where it can often go wrong the start of well you you say the start line adrenaline feeling great because we're all tapered and then I knew those and I still start too fast but the third part of that emotional investment we have in doing well so we're like gotta start how we intend to continue like be strong um so yeah, so we start off too fast and then it bites us in the butt later yeah. on in the, in the event. Um, so yeah, was it, was it the start? And It's you know, always the start. Always the start. So, so let's you, say you're doing a, it's given a distance like 50k. Yeah. What, what would you usually advise for people's beginnings of their races? Uh, you say, we're all guilty of this. Yeah, yeah. First of all, um, well, there's really two things. Number one is you've got to practice it in training. You can't just expect to execute it well on the day. Um, That's the first mistake that I see runners do. Um, And while we never run, like say for a hundred, 
or even for a 50, we don't often go out to that distance in training. Um, we certainly don't go out to that distance at a race intensity. Um, so we need to go, okay, let's have training sets we can do that actually enable us enough knowledge of how we would have gone if we had have continued it. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, and then, yeah, really the, the other part is um, understanding physiologically what's, what's happening in the body and so being able to yeah. then go, okay, yeah, <laughs> I get what's going to happen and I need to have the ability to do something different. I certainly had that experience where I, like my first 100k, the first kilometre beep went and it was a five and a half minute k. And yeah. that's, Ooh, that's fast. <laughs> I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> is there some value in like going out to a park run, knowing this is what I want the pace to be and learning to feel comfortable with just letting everybody go by? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want to do a park run and that's the way that yeah. you can achieve it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that Because I see that that's part helps. of it as well, is that you're seeing what everybody else does and you just follow them yeah. and don't think and don't look at your watch. Yeah, I, I can't answer no. it completely. <laughs> um, I think that is what happens. I think it's just that people overestimate what they're, they're capable of. Um, and if you look at, really, UTA is the only race in Australia that you can kind of see that in the sense yeah. that if you look at where people go through the at the first checkpoint in their actual yeah. placing and then you look at where yeah. they finish I do it for all my runners yeah. because there's enough bulk of runners that aren't going to be doing the right thing that those that do will move down in the rankings and those that do poorly will move up in the rankings wow that's, that would make so, such a good graphic yeah. you wow. so you just start to see the trends of what um Yep. gives you the idea that people have had fantastic races yeah by so. starting slowly calmly according to plan yeah yeah so yeah i mean i i and i've said this to a few others that i coach you know particularly obviously uta being a massive race i've been you know done it myself and going into checkpoint one there's a steep hill but it's not insane and going up that hill and i'm listening to the breathing of those around me and I'm like, you guys are less than 10 k's in and you've pretty much blown your races. Like yeah. you have gone at what is probably a half marathon pace and you're going to then try and keep that up for 100 k's over unrelenting terrain. Yeah. So. Did you see that in your first one? Cause I, someone has said that to me and since then, I've, like in events, I, I listen for the breathing of people going past me. Yeah. And Kind of compare it to what, what my breathing's doing and go a bit, yeah. you're going too hard I'll see yeah. you later I think I mentioned in the journey to 100 yeah yeah so yeah I started to listen to that and it makes me feel a little bit better yeah, yeah. absolutely because <laughs> you're like well <laughs> that's fine I'll see you down the track yeah on the trail yeah um it's yeah it's probably in, if people are interested in pacing there's a whole chapter of it in journey yeah. to 100 um so yeah, yeah. One of your primary questions for runners is what knowledge, skills and experience do you need to have a great race? Where do runners tend to have knowledge deficits that if they build that knowledge would really change their race experience for the better? Ooh. 
I probably should just say rerun fit on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really like, is there any kind of so, common knowledge problems that oh. tend to pop so, up over and over mm, again? Yeah. So for I guess mm. it's probably worth for your listeners because not all of them are going to have read run no. fit. So mm. in run fit, um, what I'd basically um, unpack and what's become obvious um, as a coach over the years is the fact that. Um, to improve in your running, which is what anyone who goes and get coaching is ultimately um, after, um, basically breaks down to the four key areas. So the mindset, the skills, um, the game plan, and the fitness, although I don't cover them in that order. Um, and so basically each of those then has three subparts that I unpack. Um, and collectively, that is literally the essence of the, the skill set and the knowledge set that is missing that actually allows people to improve. So um, essentially what's in there are the common problems yeah. in people's knowledge. Absolutely. The deficits in people's the, knowledge. Yeah. What is in there is the common problems. Probably the bit though that is, is challenging is then how you, what one person's problem will be mm. may not be another person's problem. Mm. So someone might really focus on the endurance stuff and not have anything on the speed. Someone might do all speed and no endurance. Um, you know, others might be absolutely dialed on their, their pacing, but their nutrition's actually out. And sometimes they don't realize what, or the fact that they actually have a knowledge deficit in that area. And it's not until they actually have learned otherwise. Um, yeah. It's the old, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, often people, like for the nutrition and the hydration, often people think it's their fitness that's the issue. Um, and yeah. then basically it's actually not. Yeah. It's like your fitness is progressing beautifully, but you're just not fueling correctly. And so that's why you're feeling flat at the end of a run. Yeah, got to um, make those mistakes. <laughs> and yeah. then you don't again. <laughs> so, and then... Yeah, like I guess it's also often easier to, to think in road terms or marathon terms mm. um, because it's standardized. But, you know, people will often do say a marathon. They're like, oh, it's going to be my endurance that is going to be my downfall. And then they're basically cramping at the end of the race. It's yeah. like, well, it wasn't actually probably endurance. It was your strength. Yeah. Um, so not the engine, the legs. Yes. Say. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Spot on. <laughs> yeah. So the engine was able to keep going yeah. but the legs were just cramping and couldn't actually take the load of the road or the constant yeah. pounding mm. um and that ended up being the weakness yeah. um and so then you go to, you go okay cool let's go back to the training program and there's certain things we can do within a training program to actually ensure that basically that doesn't happen again mm-hmm. um and so then they can basically improve and have a great run yeah mm. is that the same for skills are there any like skills that seem to be common that people don't oh, have pacing. built up Pacing's the pacing the most common skill actually they all kind of pacing <laughs> nutrition and hydration um yeah. yeah they're probably the the biggest ones yeah um the run technique is like it is but everyone's also independent mm. so um I think everyone can improve in that. Like, yeah. even I can improve in that. Like, you know, yeah. everyone. Okay. And you wouldn't get the funny race photos of the hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the so, double chins. Like, 
like Elliot Kipchoge would still yes. be trying to improve his technique. I have yeah, no doubt okay. about it. Okay. So, um, so everyone can obviously keep improving there, but the ones that I think you can make faster, easier gains mm-hmm. yeah. are the nutrition, the hydration mm. and the pacing. Um, because yeah, they're just, they're just easier to refine. Mm. I find. So what's your favorite nutrition for a long run? Uh, I'm an infinite boy. So, um, back from my triathlon days, um, basically got onto it there. I find that, uh, I can pretty much race out to like a hundred K. I sort of end up taking a few things from the aid station towards the end, Mm -hmm. but all my short races, I'm on that the whole way. Um, so just the, um, the liquid, like the powder in the liquid. Yeah. 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 The powder in the liquid. Um, I don't do that for everyone that I coach though. Mm -hmm. So, uh, basically I find there's a bit of a changeover, um, depending on how fast you are, but you know, at basically a hundred K kind of mark, um, that's when we then need to start incorporating some solid foods into what you're doing. Mm. Is that Um, particularly if you're slower? Yeah. This is the mid packer podcast. Yeah. 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 So, um, that's why it's kind of, yeah. yeah. Mm. If you're out longer, then you need to start to incorporate more solid foods. And as you go out to the really ultra endurance events, Mm -hmm. then you need even more. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically you've got to still have practiced in training and you've got to, Mm. you know, actually refine it and make sure you're getting the right, foods as well mm-hmm. um because you know there's there's always right ways and there's wrong ways and there's a lot of right ways and a lot of wrong ways yeah. um so yeah, yeah just making sure that you you're getting the energy that you need in um mm-hmm. but also it agrees with you it's easy to take mm-hmm. um you can put in drop bags if you need it etc mm-hmm. yeah so i guess i've been too chicken to just rely on it in an event because i just worry that my body will just get hungry because it's not actually getting any food food but I've yeah. never really tried, so I don't know. Yeah, so I know it sits well on my stomach. That's all that I know. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's where mm. you can, yeah, you can basically then just, you know, set up a situation where you can try it in an event. Mm. Um, but you can also then have a backup. So yeah, yeah. Kind of if it's you know a B race, yeah, you can actually yeah. try and do it with, um, try something different, mm. but allow yourself a backup sort of clause and have something else there Mm. Uh, you talk about the importance of um taking runners out of their comfort zone in training (laughs) absolutely Uh, getting them to the limit of what they can achieve um and i was just thinking i was wondering when i read that is that something people do themselves or do you find that people need a coach to truly push themselves to get to those limits safely or do you meet people who are very self-motivated and can do that themselves. Uh, I think it's both. Yeah. So some people are, um, some people are self-motivated yeah. and they'll naturally do it. Um, others like to be pushed um, and like the guidance on how to do that as well. So that's definitely, I guess, another part of it. Are people pretty good at knowing where their limits are? Do you find? Yeah, generally most people would good at knowing where their limits are um i guess the otherwise we get into misadventure (laughs) which is a whole a whole nother thing um when you don't recognize the risks that's actually associated with an activity Mm. um so if you were to go rock climbing 
you're probably going to put a harness on. Yes. Okay, that then gives you a certain amount of, of safety or you trust the person that's yeah. set up the challenge. So you've got potentially high perceived risk but low actual risk. Yes. Um, and most people are good at keeping within their risk parameters. Yeah. It's when, um, and I don't, I haven't read anything about it, but obviously the event that happened in China. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so it was obviously basically a low perceived risk okay so they didn't actually see there was a lot of risk with what they were doing um they've obviously gone off but the actual risk ended up being much higher so they perceived the risk to be lower than what it was um so yeah generally people are really good at keeping within their their comfort zones and their yeah. boundaries and their their knowledge or their skill set that they've got yeah um or else we have to send in <laughs> yes, yes, or they're finding oh an God, ambulance yeah, yeah. or something. So, yeah. So when discussing skills for running and how to get faster, you said to increase your pace. Uh, you either increase your cadence or your stride length. So I immediately was thinking in my head, oh, increasing my cadence decreases my stride length. But then you said, hey, that's actually good. And it increases your running economy. Um, and you're saying how often when people increase their cadence they try and keep the same stride length correct and it doesn't really work um but then it made me think well running economy itself like how important is it to develop that and how much difference does running economy make yeah uh i don't have specific no. figures on it yeah. um i'd have to go and look at research and that sort of thing but ultimately economy is hugely important um yeah because the longer the race the more important it almost is to be economical yeah so if you imagine um like a 5k runner or even a 10k runner they're not like they want to be economical but they don't actually care if they've burnt more energy if it's meant they've gone faster yeah okay whereas we need to be concerned that we actually need to preserve our energy or the effort that we're putting in and we want as much pace return for that as possible yeah. so while it is absolutely important for them i'd see it as almost more important for trail and ultra runners yeah. because of the distances being so much longer mm -hmm. so you're effectively taking more steps over the race yeah and that cadence then becomes important but you you're not one of those people were it must be the magic 180 number yeah so. <laughs> I definitely so yeah definitely do not um, go to it has to be 180 mm. so um, but I do find that people want to be north of 85 mm. so if someone's down you know 75 then we definitely want to get up if they're 80 we still want to get it up um, and I find that you know what runners kind of report to me as well I when I get there I actually feel more like I'm floating and it's easier and it's like yeah because uh, now yeah. you're running, okay? Yeah. So it's always easiest to understand things at the extremes. Um, yes. So if you've ever, and I yeah. say this to all runners, watch other runners run, because if you start to see the difference and the variation in other runners, you can, you're starting to be able to apply principles to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you see the runner that's going, they kind of look like they're just constantly bounding, they've got a low cadence. Yeah. Um, and so... What they're then doing is they're putting too much force in a vertical direction yeah and then that's a vertical upwards and then they've got a high vertical downwards force mm -hmm. as opposed to more force going in a 
forwards motion. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's really where we can then start to look to refine your um, economy, yeah. which, yeah, correctly, um, your cadence and your stride length are two parts of that. Yeah. Um, and they're the only two that you can basically change to give you your pace. But yeah. obviously you can then start to look at like your foot placement, your lean, your center of mass, um, how you're holding your arms, how you're holding your, your head, yeah. you know, is it bobbing side to side? Are you pulling your arms across your body? You do All suggest these... taking a video and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you should. <laughs> so, um, but those and that refining, I find that takes longer. So you just want to keep working at it um, and just keep yeah. Yeah, doing it and revisiting it um, and yeah, basically setting up also runs that you can do that actually force you to focus on different aspects of your running is hugely yeah. important as well. Mm. Although do you find that having a good cadence equals really rubbish event photos? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you the, where it just looks like you know your feet aren't even leaving the ground because you just it's got very that, rare that that economic machine thing. <laughs> very rare that I get a good race photo. <laughs> I, get, I found that honest. once I, I actually focused for a while increasing my cadence and then all my race photos just started looking lame after that. Oh. So it was really funny. I know I swing my arms too much. Yeah. I was better. Like I was uninjured, not exhausted. Like. I yeah. felt a lot better at the finish yeah. than I had before. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. so even if you're not quicker, <laughs> yeah. per se, but you you've reduced the impact on your body. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I dare say your economy's therefore increased. Yeah. So it's almost hard to have achieved that and not be quicker. No. Uh, periodization. Periodization. Is that five times five? You're big on. Is there any set? pattern that you tend to advise people regardless of the difference like obviously the chunks might be bigger and smaller you can work on this than this or the different distances require totally different types of periodization uh yeah the i find it's quite similar for the, like the 50 and the hundreds up to um if we're say tw looking 24 weeks out yeah um then kind of the first 12 weeks are relatively similar yeah um and then beyond that i find there's a bit of a there's they diverge um yeah. so the hundred or the miler um yeah. you know any of the longer stuff becomes much more about the endurance side mm. whereas with a 50 or something around that distance we still need a fair bit of speed yeah. um but beyond that i also then you look at periodization over the year so the, mm, the style yeah. of sets that I actually program for runners um, is yeah. different because I don't want to burn them out on the same thing. So yeah. like we want to go to not necessarily a period of no running, but a period where the mental energy required to follow the training program is easier and it's different. So that's where you can then basically go to, like you use a lot of like more RPE sets, fartlek sets, um, yeah. that type of thing. Um, and then as we sort of progress, I go through like shorter intervals and we go into like longer intervals and then we're like simultaneously also building out the volume and things. Yeah. Um, but I keep a lot of variety in there and I don't ever completely really neglect one energy system, mm -hmm. which is a little bit different to how some coaches um, yep. do it, who go very much to the extreme to the periodization. Yeah. Um, which I think has a place, but
but I'm always looking at what um, I'm working with age group athletes yeah and so what motivates an age group athlete and what we can achieve is there's still so much left on the table by doing that that I don't find I need to go to the absolute extremes of the periodization that you might do with say someone who you know is pushing for like a 2.30 marathon or (laughs) you know something like that where we're trying to find you know literally one percenters and that's you know every other box has been ticked really percenters is that when Lydia used to just throw them at the wall like he called them eggs like train them super super hard and see who didn't break I think was his oh there's yeah there's so many yeah yeah there's there's a lot of coaches that break a lot of athletes yeah and they get good results with some Mm. um but there's a pile of people who haven't done so well yeah, and that's why that. yeah. that's why you've got to look and listen to different people's bodies um, mm-hmm. particularly with the running because running compared to obviously swimming and cycling or the triathletes there's a lot of impact yeah. um, mm-hmm. so that's what requires needs to be monitored mm-hmm. my next question was about training zones and how you can work them out on your own as an amateur but then I was rehashing your journey to 100 and I went, ah, you explained it all in detail there, I'd forgotten. So I'll skip that question and just say, yeah. read, read your book, read your book. You actually <laughs> specify that very yeah. clearly in there. We do have some listener questions. Mm. Um, so first listener question for today. Is there a place for speed work when preparing for 100K or longer events? And would this differ if the event is flat versus technical? Uh, Well, it makes it a lot more complicated question to the fact that the flat versus technical. Yeah, it depends also on the the speed of the runner. I think there's there's absolutely room for speed work. The biggest thing I find is that ultra runners are doing speed work that might be relevant for a 5k or a 10k runner. Or a marathon, probably more more so. A marathon runner is often doing a speed work that's relevant for a 5 and a 10k runner. And... A 50k athlete or a 100k athlete is doing marathon speed work mm-hmm. rather than speed work that's relevant to their event. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I kind of sort of mentioned speed work is really I see anything that's race pace mm-hmm. and above. Mm-hmm. So, even for those doing, um, even those that I've trained for a miler, they're still doing speed work in mm-hmm. the week, but it's relevant to their goal event Mm -hmm. and that looks very different from someone that I'm training for a marathon Mm -hmm. that's doing speed work um, in the week so yeah I think Mm -hmm. there's there's absolutely room in the program Mm -hmm. for it um, for everyone because otherwise we'd just be going out and running along and only using our aerobic system Mm -hmm. Um, and that's all there is to it but there's (laughs) there is a lot more to it than that (laughs) so (laughs) Yeah. yeah So I hope that answers yeah. that question. Well, I guess this follows on. So what changes in training would you recommend in the step up from 100Ks to 100 miles? And then how about from the 100 miles to a 200 miler? Now the person Ooh, asking this has say. done a 100 miler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So she's now thinking. But I'm now going, <laughs> oh, is she thinking about a 200? <laughs> yeah. so, but anyway, so 100 yeah. to 100 mile and then 100 mile to 200 miler. Yeah. Changes. Yeah. Uh, where are we starting from? From 100k? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I, 
there is differences, but if we come back to our understanding of run load, mm-hmm. okay, so run load is really looking at the combination of your frequency, your intensity, and the time spent running. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a breaking point. So just because you're going to go to a 100 miler or a 200 miler doesn't necessarily mean that we can run you more each week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's one of the biggest um, misconceptions that's probably out there because people are like, oh, well, if I'm doing a 50K and I want to do a 100K, I've got to run more. Well, depending on how much running you've done going into 50K, potentially. But for me, say doing a 50K versus 100K, my run load doesn't change much. But what I'm doing within the week will potentally um, change, mm-hmm. yeah. okay? And how that potentially looks over the week will change. So the makeup um, of that. Uh, so if we look at basically using that principle, it means that we can't break the athlete, okay? Which mm-hmm. I, I think should come over pretty yeah. strong and clear <laughs> and run fit. Because if we yeah. broke the athlete, we're back further than where we started. Yeah. Not finishing okay. with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, not finishing with a smile. Yeah. So based on that, if I've got, let's just throw out an arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. It could be 80Ks, it could be 100Ks. I do everything based on time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But um, let's, let's talk in kilometers because runners love to talk in kilometers. Okay, so let's say we're doing 100Ks in the week. You may simply be doing 100Ks in a week when you're then going for the miler and you may literally be doing 100Ks a week when you're going for the 200 miler. Mm -hmm. Because if we go above that, if it's going to break us, well, we can't do more. The way you can, um, we can then set up training situations that might allow us to actually achieve some of the specific requirements for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So So one of the questions was like for the 200 miler, would you recommend they prepare for the sleeps by the you know the sleep deprivation by doing yeah. overnight training runs? So that would be an example. Yeah, like that. so that'd be an example. So, so, so that's something you would recommend, like overnights for a training Well, this is this is a double-edged sword. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Okay, so I'll answer it for you. Okay. So um, theoretically, yes, awesome to have done it, yeah. but the other part of the equation is recovery. Mm. So. I'm not a big fan of actually pushing athletes, doing overnighters, mm. doing early mornings, doing late nights, because if I start to sacrifice their sleep, then I'm more likely to injure them. Mm-hmm. And I do everything to avoid injury. Yeah, okay. Okay. So we've always, we're balancing things up in the training program as to how we actually go about achieving it. Um, so there's, yeah, there's certain... Basically, you can unload the body to allow time of a higher loading, which is what you do with a taper and then a race. So we can literally then set up different training situations where we unload the body to then put basically um, achieve certain things within the training program to prepare the athlete for what they're going to do. So there's kind of... So if you had one of those planned, you would then have a a taperish lead up to it and make sure you recover properly from it. Yes. Yeah, so, so you we, have that experience, but you don't wreck yourself in the process. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. 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 So we need to basically make sure that um, they've got the skill set to enable that. Um, but you've also then got to look at, well, what race experience does the runner have? Because mm. if they've done 
previously 100k yep. and the 100k has taken them 20 hours well they've possibly run with sleep deprivation before mm. okay so is I'm glad there... to hear that you don't think it's necessary because <laughs> <laughs> I've so, had sleep deprivation for two years with Jack's <laughs> so, I feel like I've got that but the, but <laughs> I don't the other, that again <laughs> yeah but the other thing is when you're racing you always push yourself longer, harder, or yeah. faster than what you do in training. It's part of the yeah. race. It's part of the race. Yeah, okay. So yeah. Cool. you've got adrenaline going then that I can't yeah. replicate in training. Yeah. So That's true. Kind of, Yeah. why would I do... So it's completely different anyway. Why would I do the race before I do the race? Yeah. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, totally changing tack and strength work. Uh, yeah. You made a comment about doing heels is essentially strength work so trail runners all yeah. oh, rejoice going yay we're going to <laughs> strength work. that is strength work but it's like yeah when when does a heel become strength work strength work um like obviously there's there's literally functional strength work in the sense of mm-hmm. if we're running heels it is exactly what we do yeah. um but then there's also obviously having strength training program as well mm-hmm. um and that's the other part which more and more people are taking on board and obviously I mentioned um, I didn't used to be a believer of that so not necessarily I wasn't a believer I didn't have a good experience with it Mm -hmm. um, which meant I was reluctant initially Um, so yeah so strength work is definitely running hills but running hills in often in a structured manner Um, and that's where yeah being able to do different intervals on hills and the way you then structure the training off that is what really gives the benefits as opposed to going back to what we discussed earlier about just always going out for a general run Mm -hmm. so if i'm always going for a general run and the general run includes hills well that's awesome because that's an improvement but it's not as great as coming back to doing structured running sets like intervals on hills Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it could be pyramids it could be like there's 101 ways to do it and it depends on what outcome you're trying to achieve um from the runner um, to be able to do it. But yeah, my like basically my favorite comment that I get from athletes um, is when they then finally say to me, um, as I said, in the communication side of things, you never believe it, Nick. I've run up that hill. I've never been able to run up that hill before. (laughs) And I managed to do it. And I'm like, I never know which hill it'll be. I never know when it'll occur in the training program because it's Mm, always at a different point for different people. But I know it always happens. It's not usually Pengana, I assume. It's definitely not Pengana. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, awesome. for those that aren't from Adelaide, Pangana is bloody steep. Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, yeah. that's when you know that the training's obviously allowed that. Yeah. Um, and that can be strength cardiovascular-wise. And it can also be strength from the legs, which is what we're more so yeah. um, talking about here. Um, if we're using then, a gym to build up that area, what are some of your go-tos? If you're not the getting gym, out the hill, if you're using yeah. the gym to do that instead. Like, yeah, well, squat, lunge. The classics. Um, the classics. Yeah. The classics yeah. for a reason, then. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, and calves. So the calves for mm, yeah. um, runners, they need to be bulletproof. Yeah. Um, so making sure you do a lot of calf work to make sure there's the strength there um, because that otherwise that'll be the weak link. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we've got to avoid the injury, so yeah. let's make it robust, um, even though it's probably more likely the glutes, the quads, um, 
the hamstrings that are really doing I think the calves are definitely working every step but yeah. they're not as much um, the powerhouses yeah so yeah. I'm sure someone else will who's <laughs> a biomechanist still probably shoot me um, but yeah 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 Make them don't neglect them the Australian Ballet did a study on calves and oh, I don't know what the exercise is Tobias? but yeah, and their injuries dramatically decreased. Ah. So they're the ones I do. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Car, uh, car raises. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ballet. Yeah. Ballet dancing. Obviously, yeah. massive plyometrics mm. Mm. up on point. So. Yeah. You know, probably an extreme form of what we've got. We just would do it for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, particularly as people get older, the calves mm. will be what goes if they don't get care and attention mm. um so mm. look after them yeah we've got, got to look at that <laughs> yeah. oh, i might have to go years ago oh. yeah. um, uh, you have a, a pet hate which is people waiting to get a coach oh, until they're yeah. good enough to actually have a coach <laughs> yeah uh, and you were saying it's like getting a tennis coach after they've learned how to play tennis um so yeah. yeah tell us a little bit about that mindset how you help people overcome yeah. it. yeah <laughs> well i don't know how i help people completely overcome it i guess it's a pet hate because yeah. i've had and i don't even know if i mentioned this in Runfit, i can't remember i've had multiple people come to me and be like nick you know i'm just i'm building up my training i want to start training it might be in a month or two months time which would be, you know, the classic, the 12, the 16, the 20 weeks out. Yeah. And then between then and when I see them, I get an email, Nick, I've hurt myself. I've injured myself. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Yeah. And so that's probably why it's become a pet hate because I've just seen that happen too often. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess part of, partly for the injury rise, but also because, you know, obviously you as i say you go get a guitar teacher to learn how to play guitar yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's no different from the running whereas i think the psychology is that i should be fit and i should be able to run because i've done it since i was a kid yeah and i think that's why there's a difference and that really is what underpins yeah. also the sense of well i'm just going to go for a run for exercise mm. um, because that's potentially why we originally did it which as i said fantastic yeah. but if you're trying to achieve something different then you've got to change your mindset as to how you're viewing it and both have a place um but yeah just make sure you're aware of the decisions you're making yeah um but no person. you don't need to be a top-notch runner to have a coach Nah, absolutely yeah, not yeah. i've got i've got <laughs> it sounds pretty hardcore are, though it does, it does. Yeah. so i've got people that are basically i've taken on as like basically run walking because mm -hmm. um, they've wanted to literally start from scratch um, through to people that are you know have, have been with me for a few years and now pushing like definitely the pointy end of the field yeah. um, and some of them weren't there to start off with um, either and then I've also got you know from you know I don't know young ones that are probably 30 through to the oldest that I've coached is about 75 yeah. um, and Great. I just, it doesn't matter if the mindset's there, mm -hmm. then yeah. as long as they're keen, then it's like, nah, we can, we can help improve what you're doing. We can make you fit. We can allow you to achieve your goals. Yeah. 
-hmm. So that's awesome. kind of why it doesn't matter where you fall or how old you are. Yeah. Um, so just as a bit of a wrap up, what do you think are some like common myths, common mistakes that you just wish could just be ironed out of common, runners thinking? Common myths, common mistakes. Uh, probably really there's a there's a massive misunderstanding around run load um, and how to progress it safely um, and I think which I've said like on um, you guys obviously mm -hmm. know um, Riley and Tim's podcast which yes. we sort of discussed it on there the 10% yeah. um, rule and we've you know, the, the benefit of it is really, it gives you an understanding that it's exponential, mm -hmm. but that's really the only benefit of it. Yeah. And so, Cause I, I guess... Because I see acute to chronic ratio just to keep an eye on how things are tracking, but I haven't gone too much or yep. too under. Yeah. Which I think is a, a little bit better than 10%, but yeah. Yeah. So that's also, it's just, I think the reason there's so much... Um, misunderstanding about it is because we want to be able to have an easy rule that we can go to but we're people so yeah. anything but easy so you know what works for one person is different for another um, what loading one person can take another person can't mm -hmm. and so that's where you've got to actually listen to your body and understand well you know someone that's under 21 okay yeah. that has got you know they're young they're still potentially open training if they're like particularly a guy they've got massive amounts of testosterone still going around in their body mm -hmm. they may actually be able to go at a quicker rate of um increase in their training than someone that's older mm -hmm. but i still would look back at the elites and the elites are potentially injured mm -hmm. so yeah. they've potentially got to a point but one runner might be able to run 200 k's in a week and another elite might only be able to run 120. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Why are we always putting such a big onus on how much volume I can do when it's mm. only part of the picture? Um, it's the person who wins won't be the person that's done the most volume. Mm. And the person that wins won't be the person that's done the most intensity. Mm. So if it's not at either end of those that spectrum, it's mm. in the middle somewhere, then yeah. as runners... We just have to accept, particularly as you know, age group athletes. Mm -hmm. Well, let's actually just go. You know what? It's not about yeah. necessarily the numbers there. It's about what I'm actually doing with that running and enjoying it and making sure I'm getting the best out of the training for me, and obviously not being injured. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that that helps oh, to answer yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So, do you personally have any running-related projects planned for 2021? Uh I'm I'm hoping to be able to get over to um, the Bright Ultra, mm -hmm. which was cancelled yeah. for was cancelled last year. Yeah. Um, and then that's some serious hills. Yeah. yeah. So I've heard. I looked at it mm. overall, and I was like, oh yeah, kind of just trying to compare it to Eurobella, which gives me kind of like a reference point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it doesn't look too bad. And then I looked at the map, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and I've since spoken to a couple of people, and they're like, yeah, that last hill. Oh. <laughs> So yeah. I, I look forward to it. Um, yeah. So hopefully do that one. Um, yeah. And then 
if I can um, also do your villa. I've actually only done your villa um, was my first race and I haven't raced it again since. Oh. So I would love to be able to do those two, which my personal, um, what I'm actually hoping to be able to do is make the Australian trail team. Awesome. Um, yeah. So that's why I've kind of chosen those races. Uh, so I've got to, I've actually got to look into it a little bit, but that's sort yeah. of where my, my headset's at, which is why I'm kind of having fun with the 50 to 60K mark. Yeah. Um, which people are like, when are you going to go to 100 again? I'm like, I'm loving the 50 to 60s. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's not necessarily all about the distance. Yeah. Um, it's just loving what I'm doing. And so that's obviously a goal that's inspired me. Um, mm. And so, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to achieve it. And yeah. if mm. not, I'll find something else to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And good luck. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and expertise today. That's all right. There's obviously a lot more detail in Nick's book, Get Run Fit, and um, there's also Journey to 100. So I'll put the links to them in the show notes, as always, and anything else that we've mentioned as well. And really great having you on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for for having me. Thank you. Happy (laughs) co-hosting that. Oh, good. I'll see you guys out running too. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) And happy trials, everyone.